Yo, this is Steve Bloom, the voice of Zeb in Star Wars Rebels. And you are listening to Star Wars Bookworms. Even men like Talon Card occasionally make mistakes. This is the Chimera. Launch the attack. Time to go to work. You won't let me get killed, will you? Is that what I was supposed to be doing here? I should have brought my lightsaber. So I think we're kind of getting caught up on our reading. Maybe. But not. Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, the journey to the Force Awakens is almost upon us. And I'm scared. Yes, yes. I know. I think that kind of like snapped me back into reality as far as I thought I was doing pretty good keeping up with the books. And then I saw this list of books that's coming out all on the same day in September. And I was like, I haven't even read Lords of the Sith yet. Nope. And then you thought, well, maybe we should review Heir to the Jedi. Yeah, so... Finally. I think we were scheduled to review it in April, so we are a few months behind. But I think once we get Heir to the Jedi done, then we'll tackle Lords of the Sith. I don't we'll think tackle... a few months is means five. Are we five months behind? <laughs> June, July. No, we're like three months no, behind. No, I can't count. <laughs> Whoops. But we have a schedule. We took the time. We sat down. We made a schedule. And we're going to... We are not giving up on this. We're definitely going to catch up on these books so we can review most of the Journey to the Force Awakens. Um, I think we are going to leave out a couple of the books. But for the most part, I think we're going to try to review it all. Aren't you excited about the almost 600-page YA novel? I don't think that's the right page count. It can't be. I do. I do. It's a YA book. YA books are crazy. <laughs> I bet you in this YA book we're going to see vampires and, vampires. <laughs> and all kinds of other things. And battles to the death. And battles to the death. No, I'm really excited. Actually, I'm probably more excited about Lost Stars than anything else. Oh, yeah? So, yeah. yeah. I think I'm most excited about Aftermath. And the, maybe the most curious about Lost, Lost Stars, just to see what it's... I mean, I know they've kind of said what it's about, but how is that going to actually look in a novel? It'll be interesting Amazing. to see. I don't know. It's I've never be been amazing. a big fan of like the romance element of novels. I don't mind it sprinkled into my reading, but when, it, when it's like the prevalent theme in a book, I tend to kind of tune out, so... You don't like space battles, neither do I, and now you don't like romances? What do you like? I like adventure and mystery and, like, the spiritual aspect of things. So if you were to read a book that was not Star Wars, what would you read? Oh, wow. Who has time to read books that aren't Star Wars? Um, some people. Let's see not what... us. <laughs> Um, I think the last two books I read, notable books that I read that were not Star Wars, were World War Z, which is a zombie novel, and Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Oh, dear. <laughs> which is kind of historical. How about Harry Potter? Oh, I did read Harry Potter. You're right. The first one, anyway. Yeah, I enjoyed that one. Wow, we are getting completely off base here. We haven't done this in a while. It's called ketchup time. Yes. Not the food. Ketchup like catching up with friends. 
So what are we here to do? Um, Heir of the Jedi. Heir of the Jedi? Well, we have a lot of stuff, actually, that we're going to talk about before we get to our review of Heir of the Jedi. But yes, we are finally getting to our Heir of the Jedi review. And spoiler alert, one of us liked it and one of us didn't. So it'll be... Can you guess who? Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Try to guess who. You might be surprised. Paid attention to Twitter, you already know. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into talking about Heir of the Jedi, we do have a couple items that we want to touch upon. The book club being one of them. So we did have X-Wing Rogue Squadron in there for the book club. We did have a few people kind of talking about it. Didn't seem like there was a ton of participation, but we are going to have Dark Disciple um, coming up for our August book. Um, and I know both of us are definitely going to read that one because we have to review it for the show. So, um, yep, we and will I noticed be doing that one. in the book club, we had a couple of our uh, listeners or our participants in the book club actually proactively start a thread about Dark Disciple already because people were excited to talk about it. Um, so they, there are some people out there already talking about it, but we will have the official discussion up uh, for August. Sounds good. I actually managed to find a copy of X-Wing Rogue Squadron. I think on our last episode, we, um, I'd said that I didn't have it. And I finally do now. So I have the whole X-Wing series now that I can read. Um, so I should probably get caught up. And read it sometime in between everything else that I'm reading. <laughs> <sighs> Well, so much stuff. Speaking of new stuff to read, Marvel did announce a new series. I think they may have announced this during San Diego Comic-Con, but there's a new comic book series coming out, which is going to be a mini-series all about Chewbacca. Did you see this? Yeah, and I, yeah, I'm actually pretty excited about it. Um, the girl on the cover has intrigued me because I'm not really sure what she's doing there. Um... So I'm pretty excited about it. I'm just, I don't remember when they said it comes out. Yeah, um, I'm not sure when it comes out, but I know it's going to be done by, uh, is that Jerry Dugan or Gary Dugan? And Phil Noto. I think Noto. it's Gary Dugan. Gary Dugan. Phil Noto is going to be the artist who, who is a very popular artist and does a lot of really awesome Star Wars art. Um, and the cover that you're talking about, it is interesting. There's a girl on the cover, um, and her shirt actually says Trouble in Arabesh, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, I think maybe this might be one of those type of stories where because Chewbacca doesn't really have a voice, you know, she's going to kind of be, you know, his voice. And it will be kind of like a team up between them two. Um, but yeah, it looks like it's going to be pretty cool. I know Dark Horse did a Chewbacca miniseries, but that was kind of more in remembrance of the character because he had died in the EU. Uh, but mm. this this is uh, now canon. This new series is going to be canon, so it will be cool to see Chewbacca in his own solo series um, without Han Solo. It, his own solo series without Han Solo. Um, that's just funny. It <laughs> comes out in October, it looks like. Okay. So we can start looking for those in October. Um, speaking of things that came out in the comic world, the Star Wars number seven, which is the Obi-Wan Kenobi story came out today. Did you have a chance to look at it? I did not. 
I know we had talked about possibly talking about it in the episode tonight, but um, I did not get a chance to read through that one yet, so we'll have to do that another episode. But um, right, how did you I like did, it? I did read it. Um, thanks to my good friends at Jedi News, and it was pretty good. Um, you know, it's it's very interesting. Um, it sort of left a lot to be desired, though I think for me because it didn't really go anywhere. It sort of like open and it went through this thing and then it ended and you're like, uh, what? Um, <laughs> so, but the art was really good and I enjoyed the art and Obi-Wan looks very interesting and troubled and confused and all kinds of stuff. So that was pretty neat. Did the art look different uh, than the cover art? No, it was actually pretty close. Oh, so okay. it wasn't as jarring to have something that wasn't, you know, I know that's a big, uh, a big thing for issue you for when me. It, comes to comics. <laughs> it is, which is why I actually like the art, I guess, because it was very similar. So it didn't really bother me as much as I thought it would. But it was a was it kind of a complete standalone where it kind of had a nice ending to it, or was it left open ended that there might be more to that story? It ended pretty solidly except for the fact that you could see where there would be a lot of room for them to do to do more okay so I'm not sure I'm kind of like I was kind of thinking like well there aren't any more I'm not okay (laughs) (laughs) well I will definitely be checking that out soon and then maybe in our next episode we can do a little bit more of a in-depth review of that that issue since it's a standalone story yeah i'd like to just i kind of i really want you to read it just so that you can sort of understand where i'm coming from and maybe you'll interpret it differently than i did it was a little bit harder to read for me because i was um i was reading it through dropbox so i couldn't really zoom in so i was kind of like i think i can read that word I think I can read that word, but it was good. <laughs> um, so let's see. In addition to the comic news, we um, Aftermath had an excerpt that was released via uh, Entertainment Weekly. And what's funny about this is that they say that it was released by accident. Which maybe it was, I'm not sure, but I thought they were meaning to release an excerpt, and so I'm not really sure. But I haven't read it. Um, Aaron has read it, and I don't know. For me, I don't like spoilers. I don't like anything like that, and that includes even into my books. So I tend to not read any excerpts that are put out or short stories that tie in or whatever purposely because I want to read the book as a whole. So, um what did you think of it? Of the excerpt? Um, so here's a question for you. Because mm. you don't like spoilers or you didn't read it because you didn't want to hear anything about the book, how vague do you want me to be as far as the details of the excerpt? Vague. Okay. <laughs> I just want to know what you thought about it. Okay. Um, there, The excerpt was kind of broken down into four or five sections, and each section was told from, well, not each section, but there were, I think, three or four main characters that it was kind of showing their perspective of things that were happening. 
Um, and I think it's been pretty well, you know, released out there. So I don't think this will be a spoiler for you that the book is going to involve uh, the character of Wedge Antilles. Um, so he was in there, uh, kind of his perspective of things that were happening um, pretty soon after the destruction of the second Death Star. Um, and then, yeah, there's another character there that I won't say who it was because I, I think you might not know this yet. But it is interesting Ray to see. Sloan from okay. A New Dawn. Okay, so you know this. So it's not a spoiler. It already has been announced uh, that Ray Sloan is going to be in the novel, uh, who is from A New Dawn, which is cool to see that they're tying in, you know, these characters. I was kind of worried about that with the new expanded universe or the new canon stuff, that they might kind of not tie everything in as well as the old EU kind of you know reuse characters and kind of expand upon these characters and let them grow a little bit. So to see Ray Sloan back, even though this is you know many years later, uh, it is cool to see them coming back to some of these characters because she was a pretty well liked character in A New Dawn. Um, but yeah, I just based on the excerpt, I mean there really wasn't a lot there, but it does sound like it's going to be a pretty interesting story. And oh, I don't cool. think we're going to get big you know big name characters. We're not seeing what Luke and Han and Leia were up to right after the destruction Thank of the Death Star. God. It's going to be more uh, these these other characters. Although Wedge Antilles, uh, he's so well-known of a character because of the old expanded universe. So it will be interesting to see kind of new canon's take on the character. Because all we know about him canon-wise is really, you know, short battle scenes from, from the movies. But we really don't know much about the character's personality. So it'll be interesting to see how close he looks to the, the Legends version of, of that character. I agree. Okay, so let's see here. Um, we do have one other thing that has come out, or not come out, but has been announced, um, that has to do with Lego. And I'm actually probably excited about this the most. It's called Lego Star Wars Small Scenes from a Big Galaxy. And it is basically like a coffee table sort of photography book that this photographer, he's a Finnish photographer, um, Vesa Letimaki, maybe? Not really sure how to say his name. Sorry if I butchered it. Um, he took a bunch of his son's Legos and stuff and he recreated images um, from the movies and did some awesome photography with them and even took some just creative liberties or whatever and there's some really cool pictures and I'm super excited for something like this to see, you know, photographic art of of Lego Star Wars. So, ah! <laughs> I yeah, think is, it's going to be cool. Yeah, this is kind of hitting, you know, if you're a fan of Lego, if you're a fan of photography, if you're a fan of Star Wars, like this is kind of bringing it all together. So it, it'll be pretty cool. I know I've seen a lot of images online of people that do kind of they take pictures of their Legos and put them in scenes and things like that. So I wonder if this was kind of maybe inspired by the popularity of that kind of stuff online, or maybe this is a guy that's really popular that does it online, and, and Lucasfilm kind of hit him up and were like, hey, you want to do a book about it? I don't know how it all came about, but um, it does look like it's going to be a pretty cool book to, to kind of flip through. Hmm. Well, he's apparently a pretty popular photographer and has an extensive online portfolio. So... I think, and 
I mean, I haven't looked it up, but it's possible that he was doing this before and, and they went to him and asked him to create a book for them. Just right. from the wording in the article on StarWars.com. So that's pretty neat for somebody who maybe have gotten sucked into a Star Wars book by accident. Yep. Fan I wish I was one of those creator. persons. Seems to happen a lot with Star Wars stuff now. A lot of the people that end up writing it were fans first, you know, so that's that's always good. Well, and here's one other thing that we need to take care of that we haven't taken care of. Or maybe I should wait. I forgot about the micro-comics thing because I think these are weird and I don't understand them. <laughs> I forgot it was there. So let's talk about that first. So, yeah, the micro-comics. So um, I don't know a ton about this. I think all we know about this is something that was just released in a solicitation. So I don't think there's been like a big official announcement of this coming out. Um, but it looks like there's going to be uh, some collectible what they're calling micro comics. So basically they're in kind of a trading card size, but you can buy these these replicas of the first six issues, I guess, of the old Marvel comics. Um, maybe I should just read the solicitation. So it says, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, Star Wars changed the film industry forever. The Star Wars micro comic collector packs celebrate one of the greatest films of all time with a special set of throwback collectibles that will capture imaginations all over again. Each foil pack includes a mini replica of the original 1977 Marvel comic ad adaptation of the film, as well as a 3D poster complete with Star Wars branded 3D glasses and one of 36 different Star Wars comic cards with puzzle backs. So I guess this is coming out in October, October 28th, um, and each pack will cost $3.99. Um, I think it's kind of cool. Strange. It's a little bit outside of the realm of what we would typically cover because this is almost more of a collectibles thing and not necessarily a books and comics thing. But because they are, you're literally buying a mini version of an old comic book. It is, you know, it is comic related. And I know we both kind of do the whole card trader thing, but we do the digital version. So I thought maybe you might be interested in this, but it sounds like you're not. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, no. There's going to be some really cool stuff coming out from Tops around that time that has to do with actual trading cards that I will be spending money on. So, well, did you see this? This will be cool for people. Did I did, and I'm there? still like, meh, meh, meh. Yeah. <laughs> like, meh, meh. I'm, meh. I'm not much of a collector when it comes to, the, to cards, at least the physical cards. I know you actually do collect some physical yes, stuff. Yes, I do. I'm, I'm more, I like the digital game. It's fun, but I, I haven't gotten into collecting the physical cards. But um, I don't know. Based on the picture here, it does look kind of cool, like these little mini versions of these old comics. And, you know, if you get certain cards, it, you can build a comic cover and there's 3D stuff. I don't know. I think it looks kind of cool. But um, I think I'm just not that into the original Marvel comics. Ah. And you are. I mean, you're collecting the comic, the original Marvel comic cards from in the tops trading app right now um but i have no interest in them whatsoever so i just really like the because i didn't read the the original marvel comics you know obviously i wasn't into star wars way back then i wasn't even born when these first comics were coming out um so i was i don't have necessarily have a nostalgic thing about the comics it's more i just really like the retro look of them uh so just that alone it gets me at least interested in kind of what these old comics looked like. But um, 
probably won't be going out and buying these myself, but I think there there'll be a lot of people that I think will be into this. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And let's see, so we have some different covers for the new Han, Luke, and Leia books that are coming out as part of Journey to the Force Awakens. These are the three books that we're still on the fence about whether or not we're going to read and review for the show. Um, We're not sure yet. So this would be um, Star Wars Moving Target, which and um, Star Wars Smuggler's Run, and Star Wars The Weapon of a Jedi. Or no, are we reviewing these? We are, are definitely we... we were definitely planning on reviewing these. It was the ones these, that are the retelling ones. of the movies that we might that's right, not that's review. Right, that's right. So we are reviewing these. I lied. Um so there's two different covers. There's the US cover and the UK covers, which I don't understand why they would make them so different. And I think the US covers are on the left hand side in this picture we're looking at. Um and to be honest, would prefer the UK covers. Would you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a... It's been a common thing with Star Wars literature to have different covers for different countries. And I remember back when the New Jedi Order books were coming out that the U.S. covers were kind of like, eh. But then, like, the Japanese covers were just amazing. And I was like, man, why don't we get the Japanese covers? Because they look so much cooler. But um, for these, I actually think both the U.K. version and the U.S. version are both really cool looking. Uh, but they're com- coming at it from a different take. So, like, the U.S. version, you know, it's character images. Um, but then the U.K. versions, it's very much font-based and, you know, icon-based. Um, big, bold colors and things like that. So, I like them both. I think they both look awesome. I kind of want to collect them both. I think the Leia one looks really good. I do not like the way Han looks, and I don't like the way Luke looks. Hmm. So, I think the Luke one the- is the least favorite of mine only because he just looks so different than luke looks mm-hmm. but the other ones i actually like um but yeah if we can i know we know some people that live over in the uk so hopefully we can get our hands on both versions of these for our collection either that or i'll just get them off amazon <laughs> that's true <laughs> is it that easy you can just go on amazon and buy the uk version you just log into uk amazon amazon probably dot co dot uk or something and just ship it right over here Something like that. Okay. We'll figure it out. I do want the UK versions, though, I think. Um, and before we move into Heir to the Jedi, we never announced who won Darth Vader, Darth Vader's Little Princess. We talked about it. We decided who was going to win. But we never actually announced it in last month's episode. We well, skipped it. We should it. do that. Yeah, we should. Um, so I have it right here in front of me. The book is sitting right here in front of me. We are proud to announce that the winner is Jared Mays, at Jared Q. Mays on Twitter. He replied to what we asked, um, which was a tweet that included the hashtag, I am a princess. And it said, born the week of Star Wars Reads Day, Ava clearly loves reading Star Wars. And it's a picture of him wearing one of those little baby hugger things. You know, that carries your baby right. like on your on your stomach. And he's reading Star Wars um, Fate of the Jedi. And I think that's, is that Vortex? Yeah, Vortex. And um, the little girl just looks cute as can be. She looks so happy to be reading Star Wars. So congratulations, Jared. If you could, send an email to starwarsbookworms at gmail.com with your 
mailing address, please. And we will get this sent out to you, or I will, since I have it. So, yep, starwarsbookworms at gmail.com. And just in case he doesn't listen to this episode and hear that he won, we'll probably reach out to him on Twitter as well. Um, but I think we picked him purely because of how cute that picture was. Yeah, we did. Yeah. He won because of how cute his picture was. <laughs> and now everybody knows how to sucker us and win something from a giveaway. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So, Heir to the Jedi. We're finally we're finally getting to it. We are. We're finally getting this book. Um, I actually read it um, pretty much as it came out. I think I was a little late on reading it. I didn't read it like um, you know before everybody else did. Uh, even though I had the preview copy, I think I ended up reading it once it was released. And um, it's been a bit since I read it, but I know you just you're. It's kind of fresh for you because I know you just finished it. I think today, right? I did. I finished it earlier today. I All finally right. was like, I have to read this thing. So this and, is going to be fresh in your mind. Hopefully you can kind of refresh my memory on some of the details. But I know there's a lot of stuff in this book um, that we want to talk about. And it's kind of one of those books that I think it's gotten a lot of negative negativity from reviewers, from stuff that I've pretty seen. Pretty much only negative. It's, what's that? It's a pretty much only negative from yeah, what I find. It does seem like it's gotten mostly negative reviews. Um, so it will be interesting to see what we thought about it as we go through this, but... Um, it's not like it's a secret. You will get a partially not negative review here because I loved it. You loved it? I did. I actually did. I really liked the story. I thought it was really funny. Okay, so where does it fall totally as far laughed. as new canon novels that you've read so far? Is it your favorite? Well, let's see. That would be three. Okay, A New Dawn. There's only been three. A New Dawn, Tarkin, and this one. So it's second, I guess. Second I liked to a it new more dawn. than Tarkin, and I liked A New Dawn best. Okay, that's fair. That's a fair assessment. Um, I would say definitely out of the new canon stuff that I've read so far, it's my least favorite book. Uh, but there's stuff in it that so I did like. Third. So I'm not going to totally... No, I've I've read more than that, haven't I? Maybe? No, yeah. you haven't read Lords of the Sith and you haven't read Dark Disciple, and that would make five. I'm pretty much done with Dark Disciple. I'm right at the end of it. so And I already... That one I, I really liked, so I know I like that better than, than Heir to the Jedi. So we'll say it's fourth. Okay, so we'll say it's fourth. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's there are things in this novel that I did enjoy, so I'm not going to just sit here and bash it. That What would be the point of that? You know, we're, we're going to point out the good stuff... But I will point out the things I didn't like as well. Um, but it, it should be an interesting conversation. But it was written by Kevin Hearn. Release date March 3rd of 2015. And this takes place shortly after Star Wars A New Hope. Um, do you want to do the publisher summary? A lot. I thought you might ask. There's a lot there. <laughs> All right. So here is the publisher summary. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. We're starting story time. A thrilling new adventure set between A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back, and for the first time ever, written entirely from Luke Skywalker's first-person point of view. Luke Skywalker's game-changing destruction of the Death Star has made him not only a hero of the Rebel Alliance, but a valuable asset in the ongoing battle against the Empire. Though he's a long way away from mastering the power of the Force, there's no denying his phenomenal skills as a pilot, and in the Rebel Leader's or in the eyes of the rebel leaders, Princess Leia Organa and Admiral Akbar, there's no one better qualified to carry out a daring rescue mission crucial to the Alliance cause. 
A brutal alien cryptographer renowned for her ability to breach even the most advanced communication systems is being detained by the Imperial agents determined to exploit her exceptional talents for the Empire's purposes. But the prospective spy's sympathies lie with the rebels, and she's willing to join their effort in exchange for being reunited with her family. It's an opportunity to gain a critical edge against the Empire that's too precious to pass up. It's also a job that demands the element of surprise. So Luke and the ever-resourceful droid R2-D2 swap their trusty X-Wing fighter for a sleek space yacht piloted by a bra- brash recruit, Nakari Killeen, daughter of a biotech mogul, who's got a score of her own to settle with the Empire. Challenged by ruthless Imperial bodyguards, death-dealing enemy battleships, merciless bounty hunters, and monstrous brain-eating parasites, Luke plunges head-on into a high-stakes espionage operation that will push his abilities as a rebel fighter and would-be Jedi to the limit. If he ever needed the wisdom of Obi-Wan Kenobi to shepherd him through danger, it's now. But Luke will have to rely on himself, his friends, and his own burgeoning relationship with the Force to survive. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so no Obi-Wan Kenobi to help Luke out here. Um, what is your, so you said you loved it. Maybe, you know, what, what about this book did you like so much? What, what stuck out to you? I loved the first person Luke stuff. And I think it's because a lot of YA novels, which is young adult, okay, you guys don't know, are written from the first person. And I tend to read a lot of YA if I'm not reading Star Wars. The majority of the stuff on my shelf would be YA. Um, outside of that, the only stuff I read that's not YA is probably um, Dan Brown um, and some of the other um, Terry Brooks, other fantasy stuff. But those fluctuate between first person and not. So my typical book is written this way. Um, another thing I really liked about it is that there was not a ton of space battle stuff. And I can't tell you how much I dislike space battles in Star Wars books. Um, I can do speed reading. Um, so I will look when a space battle comes up, I will speed read through that. So I will pretty much just go, okay, get me to a point where I will actually be interested again. So if it has a ton of space battle stuff, I don't love it. This did not. This had a lot more of character interaction, a lot of stuff on planet or in a ship that was less focused on what was going outside of the ship. And when there was battle stuff outside of the ship's it was very clear and not confusing, which is how I usually interpret space battles. They get very confusing for me. And so this, it was easy to follow. Um, I liked the way Luke was portrayed in this, and that is probably the biggest thing I've seen that people have a problem with is how Luke was portrayed in this book. I think it fit perfectly with where he left off in the films. Um, so for me, I think it was perfect. I loved Nakari. I thought she was great. I had a little bit of a problem putting together an image of her, but I was able to do so sort of. And then, Aaron, you put the picture from Star Wars Insider in our show notes, and that helps fill in the gaps for me. Um, so if anything, they could have helped me picture her a little bit better uh 
So for me, it just kind of was you right here, aren't you? It was just up my alley. (laughs) Like for me, it was just it was. I was nervous about it because I don't want just books that are about the original trilogy characters and that's it. You know, I want new stuff. And there was so much new stuff in in here that it was it was captivating for me, even though I was really scared that it wouldn't. So, yeah, that's what I liked. (laughs) So it's interesting that you compared it to kind of a YA novel feel, uh, because actually that's one of the criticisms I had heard a lot of people saying about this novel was that um, it did feel like a younger, written for younger audience than maybe the adults that typically read the Star Wars books. Um, That it read kind of like a YA novel. Um, I don't read that many YA novels, if any. So I didn't really know to compare it to that. But um, yeah, it's interesting that you kind of brought that up. But that was a positive for you, whereas I think that was a negative for for other people. Well, and I could see that. I mean, you know, there's a good split, obviously, of women and men that read this stuff. But... There's also a lot of, there are a lot of men who read Star Wars books. And I know there's girls out there that read them, but there just doesn't seem to be that many that maybe vocalize. Okay, I'll say it like that. So I could see how they would take issue with the way it was written if it was written sort of in a YA format. But for someone like me, that that's the kind of stuff I like to read, it was a lot easier for me to digest. Whereas... When I was reading through something like uh, Tarkin, it was harder for me to digest because it was a lot more technical. Right. Um, A New Dawn sort of fits right there in the middle. It has that kind of YA feel, but yet it still is adultish. So if that's a good – that's a good comparison is that – Era of the Jedi is pretty YA, where Tarkin is not at all, and A New Dawn is sort of in the middle. So I kind of like my stuff to be kind of in the middle, I guess. Right. So the first-person perspective, I have now realized that I don't like that. Because it's only ever happened twice in Star Wars novels. Uh, they did it with I, Jedi, and then now they've done it with uh, Heir to the Jedi. But I read I, Jedi way back when, and I remember really liking it, but then we re, you know, we we used it as one of our book club books a few months ago, and so I reread it. And this time around, I didn't really like it. You know, reading everything from Coran Horn's perspective and being inside his head, I just I didn't really enjoy that. Um, and so I was a little nervous after reading *I Jedi*, and then when I heard that *Heir to the Jedi* was going to be first person's perspective as well, and inside of Luke's head, who is Luke is one of my favorite characters. Um, I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to like this. And I really didn't. I didn't like that perspective. It was just too much in his head. Um, so, yeah, I that was definitely one of the negatives for me. Just It's just a personal preference that I would rather see. I would have rather seen the same story from just kind of a different perspective um, as opposed to inside of Luke's head the whole time. So... You know, it's kind of hard for me, I guess, to sort of figure all of this out as far as the first-person perspective. Um, I'm not sure why, but I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around it. But just to give you an example really quick, um, 
I'm going to read the first paragraph from a book that I really enjoy and see if you think that this is similar to Heir of the Jedi. Um, okay. And I'm not going to tell you which one it is. Maybe you'll figure it out, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. When I wake up, the other side of the bed is cold. My fingers stretch out, seeking Prim's warmth, but finding only the rough canvas cover of the mattress. She must have had bad dreams and climbed in bed with our mother. Of course she did. This is the day of the reaping. I prop myself up on one elbow. There's enough light in the bedroom to see them. My sister Prim curled up on her side, cocooned in my mother's body, their cheeks pressed together in sleep. My mother looked younger, still warm, but not so beaten down. Prim's face is a fresh, as fresh as a raindrop, as lovely as the primrose for which she was named. My mother is very beautiful, or was very beautiful once too, or so they tell me. So, like, that's the kind of stuff that I like to read, which I feel like is very similar <laughs> yeah. to Heir of the Jedi. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, you know, it's, it's written from a first-person perspective. Um, I haven't read the Hunger Games novels. Good job! Um, Yay! <laughs> but <laughs> I don't think, you know, there is, I've never been super interested in reading the Hunger Games novels anyways, um, and now I'm even less interested now that I know they're written from that, that perspective. Um, but yeah, it's just a personal preference. I just would rather see the story from multiple people's perspectives or either, you know, or from just kind of a, an omnipresent kind of perspective as opposed to inside one character's brain the entire time. So, okay. So is this first person? <laughs> Are we doing uh, literature 101 here? Well, I honestly, this is one of the things that I've had trouble with, with understanding criticisms of the book and then understanding books that I like versus that, you know, how they're written. Because I don't, when I read, I just simply read. I don't read to analyze. I don't read to try to figure all that out. I just read and I either like the story or I don't, you know. It's the same way that I, that I watch movies. I don't watch movies to see what the lighting is doing or where they're using music in certain places i only pay attention to stuff like that if i like the movie and go and see it again you know what i mean um so is your so, confusion what like what exactly does first person mean well i understand what what it means when somebody's talking in first person you know uh -huh. um or in third person or whatever get that i'm just trying to understand it in the literary terms of how why people didn't like it and what that means. Cause, so I guess Harry Potter's not written in first person? No, it's not. So first person is just basically means that like this entire no novel, Heir to the Jedi, was was told with Luke's voice. So you're you're literally in his brain and you don't hear you're not seeing anyone else's perspective on the story other than Luke's. Um, so that's the difference. Whereas most other Star Wars novels, with the exception of I Jedi, you're getting multiple perspectives of different characters. Um, See, and I guess I guess that's the thing. I don't feel like that was true. I feel like I could understand Nakaria's perspective and how she felt about Luke and, you know, what her thoughts about Luke were without having to be told them. And I understood Drusel's perspective on things and how she was feeling or thinking about things without having to be told them. Right. So... But you are only getting Luke's take on it, though. So you are getting a skewed vision. You know, See, so and I didn't, and I didn't feel that way at all. And I didn't feel like I was getting a skewed vision of anything. I felt like it was very balanced, and I felt like everything made complete sense for me. 
So I didn't get that at all. And so I guess I understand that it was from his perspective for a lot of it because he would talk about – you'd hear his inner dialogue when he was talking about the force and things like that. But for a good chunk of it, when he wasn't doing that stuff, I didn't see it the way that you're saying that it was. So either that's just the way my brain works. You just tuned it out, it sounds like. Maybe. But yeah, it was definitely, you know, there was no point in the novel where you're getting, you know, Nakari's perspective, you know, on what she thinks about Luke. You're literally... See, but I, 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 I understand, except for in my brain reading through this, I did. Right. Well, and that's, like, that's could, a sign of like, I, I guess... I completely feel it. At least from and, your perspective, the writer did a really good job then, because then he is able to to show you what other characters are thinking and feeling without actually getting into their brains and only telling it from Luke's perspective. So, you know, it sounds like you're kind of giving a, a good bravo thumbs up to uh, Kevin Hearn here because he did a good job from for, for you at least. I think that maybe it's if you have the reader brain that I have for somebody that pretty much only reads fantasy and only reads a lot of stuff that comes out first person or things that are done the way that J.K. Rowling did with Harry Potter, that it's, you know, a totally different thing for me. Um, And maybe that's it. I don't know. Maybe it's just my reading history made this book easier for me to understand or maybe I've always had a really big imagination, so maybe that's part of it too. Because I, if you remember, I did talk to you at one point about the way that I visualized Luke in this book, and he doesn't look anything to me the way that he looks in the film. Hmm. So it could just be the way my brain interprets stuff. Right. Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Um, so one of the big things in the novel is obviously the romantic relationship between Luke and Nakari. It uh, was so cute. I loved it. And I was kind of saying before, <laughs> I don't mind a little bit of romance. Now, have you read any of Dark Disciple? Yes. Okay. So there's some romance in Dark Disciple. It's a whole different kind of romance. This I is haven't more like, read that much, so don't say anything. This is more like teeny bop kind of stuff for me like which is why i thought it was so cute and funny nakari like luke to me was just kind of crushing on her and there was all the flirtation and um i liked the character of nakari actually luke kind of annoyed me um i think you were kind of saying you know you things that you've read in the past kind of you know can you maybe help you understand this book more for me things that i've read in the past probably hurt my enjoyment of this book because I've read so much of of the Legends universe with Luke as an older character that that has become Luke to me. Luke to me is this older Jedi Master, you know, pretty serious. Um, And I don't really see him in that teenage type perspective anymore. So going back in time and seeing him and actually getting into his brain and, you know, him talking about how much he likes this girl and it kind of was just so different of a character for me that it was hard for me to wrap my my mind around it. Well, and I think for a lot of people that could be part of it too, that there's a lot of people who really idolize Luke from everything that they've read in the expanded wow. universe. And so reading 
something like this would be very jarring for them. Um, I have the good fortune, I guess, now to not have read a ton of that stuff. Very little, actually. And so for me, this was kind of perfect. I've always sort of wondered how Luke gets to gets from, use the force, Luke, oh, I destroyed the Death Star by accident, to I can lift a lightsaber out of the snow. Because he hasn't had any training at all from anybody, if, from what we know in the movies. You know, he just magically does it. So for me, this was just great. Because he's going through some difficult times, he's doubting himself, trying to figure out if he can actually use the Force or what it feels like to use the Force. And Nakari is his muse, if you will, to find that warm, beautiful place in the Force to be able to move things. Um, Can I go ahead and say my quote that I love? Go ahead. Okay. She, there's this one scene where he's trying to move a noodle. Oh, geez. And she she tells him, he does, he moves it a little bit. Like, he moves it, maybe, like, wiggles it or something. And she says, look at you, you little noodle scooter. <laughs> and I just about died. <laughs> I was laughing so I hard. Feeling, I was like, that is so perfect. <laughs> I have a feeling that the, that part of the novel that you enjoyed so much is exactly the part of the novel that a lot of people probably were just groaning when they read that line. Um, I love that. I was like, this readers, is so perfect. Well, you know, Luke is... This is canon. Like, that's that's the thing. Like, we have, we have reset on the Legends universe. Legends, you know, is now an alternate universe, not canon. And so now everything that's being written right now, this is canon. And so, I don't know, in my mind, I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, I want to see Luke's progression, you know, on how he was able to lift that lightsaber out of the snow as well. But did I want that progression to involve him moving a noodle while he was flirting with some girl on a date? No. He wasn't no. really flirting with her. Let's get real. Well, Luke does not know how to flirt. Well, he's okay? trying. Okay. He's, he's She was really... flirting. Oh, but... yeah. He was so poor at it. He was... And it was almost to an embarrassing really level of how horrible he was at flirting. And not only that, but he almost created a problem for himself in admitting that he had a little flame for Leia right in front of this girl who's clearly got a thing for him and he's been staring at her nonstop. So you don't go and say you have a thing for the princess to the girl that you're staring at. Why not? Doesn't not that work? well played, sir. Doesn't the jealousy no. thing work though? You you make make a girl realize there's another girl out there, the whole thing? Makes... No, but see but she was really cool about it. She was she cool was. about it. He she, was nervous, she and I think she was. Uh, she didn't think anything of it. But you did bring up that passage, which I did want to actually read from that passage because I found it very interesting. Because this is one of the things that, you know, this book is being able to break some new ground. You know, we got to see um, the the Legends universe version of you know Luke and Leia and um, Splinter of the Mind's Eye, that whole thing that happened. And we didn't know back then, the writer didn't know that Leia was going to eventually become Luke's sister. So it was awkward and gross and that whole thing that he kind of was crushing on her. And you kind of wonder, are they going to touch on that, you know, in this new canon now that we know that he's going to be her brother? You know, are they going to completely just ignore that, you know, or are they going to actually touch on it? And they did kind of touch on it, but not very much. So you brought it up. 
Let me find that passage here really quick. Okay, I'll let you find that, and I'll just keep talking. I will vamp. Oh, um, so I actually really like the relationship between the two of them because it didn't get all twilighty. I'm like, you're my reason for living. <laughs> um, but it was enough that it was there that was it was cute and funny, and it provided for some humorous moments when they'd make cracks about the fact that they both both stink at cooking, or you know, that Luke's always covered in something, whether it be calf or the stuff from the sewer. Um, you know, and I just thought she was such a clever character because she was always just right on her tone on her toes with some sort of quip. Um and I thought it it led a lot. And when spoiler alert, um when Dakari dies go towards the end. We're going there already? <laughs> well let's when Hold on, I, I found my this. passage. When she dies at the end, I was like, it was like I got punched in the stomach. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I was devastated. Okay, so I found the passage terrible. in the book. Okay. Um, and this is Luke talking about his feelings for Princess Leia. Um, okay, so this is Nakari talking here. Tell me, Luke, am I mistaken in thinking you have feelings for that princess? Because I thought I heard a note of yearning there. And it goes on. My eyes shifted to her face and found hers waiting, studying my expression carefully. After a couple seconds of terror, I remembered a widely held policy about honesty and how it was probably for the best. No, you're not entirely mistaken, I said, but we're just friends. Uh-huh, pilot, that's not going to fly. I'm talking about what you want, not what you are. And then Luke says, or it goes on, I, I couldn't believe the conversation had gotten this uncomfortable this quickly. I wasn't any sort of expert on relationships, but I felt certain they had already said too much, and it was unwise to speak to one person about your desire for another. Honesty, I reflected, might not always be the best policy. Sometimes you need to take evasive action. And then he says, <laughs> I think... Such a dude thought process. I know, right? And he says, I think it doesn't matter what I want. I'm a farm boy, and she's a princess. Being her friend oh, is about blah. all I can hope for. Oh, poor pitiful me. So it, it, they do, I mean, they, I'm pretty sure that's pretty much all they they talk about in the entire novel when it comes to Luke and Leia. Uh, so they do touch on the fact that he does kind of have a little bit of a thing for her, but he realizes that it's not going to go anywhere. Um, so... I thought that was interesting that they even went there with the book at all. Yeah, um, but I'm glad that they did. And they did it to further the story between Luke and Nakari because they end up getting to a point to where they have that awkward, like, okay, we we got to go to work now, but I love you. Okay, bye. <laughs> um, well, they definitely, various... get, they, they definitely get to a point in the relationship where it does become, you know, more than just flirtation, you know, they do get to a point where, um, you would think that if she did survive the novel, that they would have be, you know, they would have become some sort of a couple because they were, you know, starting to admit feelings for each other and, and kissing and having intimate moments and things like that. So they kissed one time. No, uh, was, was it just they the one time? Once. They, they implied once. there was more going on. No, they didn't. They kissed once. Okay, maybe I was reading into it. But I felt like there was more, there was some implication that other things were happening between them. Um, I don't know, did you not feel that way, that if she had survived that they would have become a thing? Oh, I totally did, and I was totally pissed. I was like, seriously? He could have had a cool, cool girl. So. 
Yeah, Luke hasn't had the best uh, luck in relationships, even in the uh, the Legends universe. He he ends up killing, I think, three of his his loves, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and then the other ones tend to tend to die. So, yeah, it, I think maybe it's just a recurring theme: Legends universe or canon universe. Luke is not, or Luke is unlucky in love. <laughs> so. We'll see with uh, the Force Awakens coming out if maybe you know enough time has passed. Maybe he had, he has found some successful love, but I doubt it. Probably not. Probably not. Maybe. Probably not. But some of my favorite parts about the book, though, I will say, were some of the conversations that that Luke and Nakari would have, um, because you get a little bit of insight. the The positive side, I guess, of the book being written from Luke's perspective is you do get some insight into what he's thinking um, about certain things, like. You know, at this time, he doesn't know Darth Vader is his father. And so when they start talking about Darth Vader, he's not talking about Darth Vader in a context of, like, um, you know, that he's trying to redeem him in, in any way because he doesn't know that he needs to yet because he, he to him at this point, Darth Vader is just the enemy. Um, but it is interesting oh to see. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine if she had lived... And then he finds out that Darth Vader is his father, and then she has to deal. He would have to deal with the fact that Vader had killed her mother, his girlfriend's mother. Oh. So let's talk a little bit about because I do want to read another passage from the book where they kind of get into the different perspectives on Vader, Luke's perspective and Nakari's perspective. Uh, I found that very interesting. But before we do that, I did want to bring up why does Nakari dislike Vader so much? And that's because Vader was the cause of her mother's death. Mm-hmm. But the details of that are kind of comical. And another thing that keeps coming up as far as maybe one of the reasons why a lot of people didn't like this novel is um, some of these type, these things that kind of come up that are a little more silly. So what did you think about the fact that her mother was part of a band called... Called the Toodle Fruits? <laughs> Hako Draslip and the Tootle Fruits, who sang I their hit song that was hilarious. Vader's Many Vader's Prosthetic, Many prosthetic parts. parts. I was like, wow, that's so fitting because it's so true. Um, but really, isn't that a little too irreverent no. maybe for the no. Star Wars it's universe? stinking hilarious and makes it great for reading for me. Uh, maybe in a parody comic, I would think that's funny. But this is like, this is one of the first canon novels. Like, they're... Are we to think that, you know, that Darth Vader is so well known in the universe, and that fact that he has prosthetic parts that there's they're writing songs about it? Like he's not, I don't know. To me, that just that takes away from the menace of the character when people are willing to to write those things about him. If you think about it, people rise up against what governments say and how governments try to impress certain things on people. A good example of that is Green Day. Okay? Green Day's entire album, um, God, I cannot remember the name of it now, um, that has Boulevard of Broken Dreams and all that stuff, is a very political album that American is driven... American Idiot? Is that the name of the album or is that just a song? American Idiot. I think American Idiot is just the name of a song. I can't remember. I have it, but I don't have it right okay. in front of me. Um, but... You know, they do that all the time. So it is not a far stretch of the imagination that a band would create an album. Maybe it is American Idiot. Um, I think you're right. That would create an album and a song that would 
specifically target one of the most feared people in the galaxy and create something that is so off the charts ridiculous to make fun of and to belittle that person. So that's something that we see in our own culture. So for me, I immediately went and thought of, well, Green Day, an American idiot. And I thought the name of it was hilarious. Um, Do I agree with you that, of course, it is, you know, it's making Darth Vader seem not that scary or whatever, but people do what they have to do to deal with the things that are happening to them and the oppression that is happening to them. And so her mom went out on a limb to create the song or whatever and accepted the consequences, which was getting sent to the Spice Mines of Kessel because Vader has no sense of humor and was like, you know what, we're going to set an example so nobody else will do stuff like this and try to make fun of us and not take us seriously and we're going to send you off to be killed. So for me, that's where it went. Um, that's a, I mean, that's actually a very good way to look at it. And I, I, that's a perspective that makes me be able to digest it a little bit better. But I do, I'm just going to disagree with you on the fact that this should should be in this book at all. I just feel like, this is too far. I get that they're trying to, you know, be humorous here, but sometimes I don't want my Star Wars to reflect my real world because it's not my real world. In my real world, if if um, Green Day writes a song that's kind of mocking our government, they don't have to worry about some guy clad in black armor to show up and chop off their heads with a lightsaber. Like it's no, but they would if they were in a dictatorship, oppressive government. You know, maybe. maybe they don't here in America, but if it happened in Cuba under the under Fidel Castro, or if it happened in Germany under Hitler, or if it happened in Russia, you'd be killed, straight up killed. Right, right. I get that, but I'm just to me, this is just a little too too silly for my taste. I just didn't. I just thought it was really silly um, that they had this in there, and I know I'm not alone on that uh, perspective. But. No, you're probably not. But I mean, the other thing is, though, is that not everybody can die at the hands of somebody from some space battle or from something else or having their planet invaded and having all of their species killed off or, you know, because Darth Vader didn't like them. So he walked around and found them and force choked them to death. Like it cannot be the same crap all the time. And that's one of the things that we see in Star Wars, at least for me, is we see the same kind of things happening over and over and over and for the first time we saw somebody that did something that was maybe not a part of the rebel alliance it wasn't them kind of sneaking around stealing stuff and all this whatever they just outright were like hey we don't like you this is how much we don't like you we don't care if you're gonna what you're gonna do to us but we're just gonna do it anyway and so for me i was like that's really great and different so totally understand where you're coming from but like i do not mind if my if things from real life get put into star wars because quite honestly everything that is in a fantasy novel or in star wars or whatever is driven by something in our real world just has a different name slapped on it and put in space right yep agree to disagree i think this is pretty dumb Wish it's not in my Star Wars. It's canon. Like, this is canon now. There's a band called the Tootle Fruits that wrote this song. Grand Admiral Thrawn and Mary Jade, not canon. Tootle Fruits, canon. Not a fan of that. But 
we can move on. Um, but I did like kind of where the where the conversation about Vader did end up leading with um, with with Luke and Nakari. Uh, so there was another passage that I wanted to read in here that I thought was interesting. Um, let's see here. Basically, Nakari and Luke are talking about Darth Vader and kind of Luke's hope, I guess, as far as maybe what he can learn from Darth Vader. Uh, let's see here. So she says, or the Luke says, you want Vader to get what's coming to him, eh? Sure, I mean, it's not all I want, but I wouldn't pass up a chance to take a shot at him if the opportunity presented itself. He took my mom from me and betrayed your dad. So that's interesting. She, you know, she says betrayed your dad. So, you know, Luke does think that Vader, you know, killed his father at this point. Um, she says, don't you want him dead? I want him defeated. Dead qualifies as defeated, Nakari pointed out. I guess I'd like to know how he became the thing that he is so I would know what not to do. You can't get answers from a dead man. Hold on, you think you could turn all evil like that? You think you have that inside you? No, no, that's not what I mean. Ben said he, he'd been seduced by the dark side of the Force, almost like he didn't have a choice. I need to know more. Nakari's voice deepened along with the crease between her eyes. He chose to send my mother to the Spice Mines and let her die there, Luke. It wasn't some metaphysical dark side that made him do it. He chose to do that, just like everything else he's chosen to do. He's not helpless, he's responsible. So I thought that was a very interesting passage to kind of see, you know, Luke is actually already starting to show some sort of compassion towards Darth Vader. Um, and Nakari is very much on the opposite side of things, like, no, you know, he needs to die, he's killing people, he's making these decisions, it's not the dark side that's making him do it. He's making the decisions on his own. So I, I thought that was a, a pretty interesting perspective. And I would say, yes, it is an interesting perspective. I do not think Luke is showing compassion towards Vader. I think that he's just thinking about his force training. And I think he is trying to rely on anything that he can that will help him learn anything because he so desperately wants to become a Jedi. And he, the only thing that he knows to do is to have a teacher because he had Obi-Wan. So the only person that he knows that's in tune with the force is Vader at this point. So it's not so much a compassion thing as it is just a, this is one person who could possibly help me understand the force. And that's why I need them, you know, it did sound um, a little bit like he was making excuses, you know, for Vader, though, because he says, oh, well, Ben said he was seduced by the dark side. And, well, um, I think he's saying he's he has to make excuses for him talking about him possibly wanting to have a conversation with with Vader because nobody else out there could understand why he would want to talk to the only other person that's in tune with the Force because they don't understand the Force or being a Jedi. So that's like saying... I really want to talk to, excuse me, to talk to Hitler because, you know, he came up with these brilliant ideas and he got all these people to follow him. And I really want to figure out how you can have that much of an influence over people. You know, if you were to say something like that to somebody in the 40s, they'd be like, you are crazy. 
people you know i don't really (laughs) trust you um and so that's probably where he was going with it was just that it's not i don't think it was a compassion thing at that point it was more of a i need somebody who can help me and none of you can you know and maybe he was thinking like well maybe if i can talk to him the right way and kind of get him to understand then maybe he can teach me some stuff so maybe (laughs) jaded you know i just think Um, there's a, a Luke has always been that character that's, he's not the type of character just kill somebody um, oh, no. for having a reason why. You know, he, he wants that to be the last resort. And I think that's kind of what I'm getting from this conversation with Luke is kind of like, well, you know, I can learn a lot from him. Killing him's not going to really allow me to learn from him. Um, and so, and then he also kind of says the whole thing about Vader being seduced by the dark side. So it's, He's trying to understand the character as opposed to just seeing him as purely evil and needs to be killed, which is kind of the way that Nakari is looking at him. Um, so it's, it's it's the two different perspectives, um, which I, I found s- that very uh, intriguing to read that passage. But you see that in the entire book. She does stuff a lot where she just kills people. Yeah. You know? They're, def- and he's they're very like, different and, characters. And he's like, uh, you know, he's got a problem with it. Not a not a big enough problem with it, but just it catches him off guard because that's not the type of person that he is. Like, makes sense. But um, I don't know. I just wouldn't jump straight to using the word compassion. Yeah, maybe compassion wasn't the right word, but he's definitely trying to understand uh, Vader as opposed to just looking at the black and white of things. Well, and I think he has to if he's going to use the Force. The Force is not black and white. Right, yep. And we see that specifically when... Um, I guess we'll just jump there when Nakari dies he almost turns to the dark side of the force a couple of times and I love the description of, of the light side versus the dark side and what he was feeling when he was trying to reach out with the force when it, the dark side was in, in control and how he, he couldn't understand it, he couldn't feel it you know it it didn't feel the same and he, he just had to stop and calm down and refocus his attention and then he, he got the light side back. And I thought that was the first time really ever we've gotten a description of what it's like when the dark side starts to try to take over. Maybe and, in canon. Um, did, so Nakari's death. So let's, the, you're bringing up a couple really good subjects to talk about here. Number one, Nakari's death. Number two, does Luke actually... You, tap into the dark side at some point. So first let's talk about Nakari's death. How did you feel about the way that her death happened? Like did, cause she was such a big character, you know, throughout the novel, almost as big of a character as Luke was, you know, it's kind of their novel together. Um, and then her death scene seemed to be kind of off screen, you know, where she doesn't really get kind of a big death scene. It's kind of just like, Oh, it happened. And you know, did you, did you feel like maybe she was, I don't know. Were, were you okay with that? I was fine with it. I think that a lot of times when people die, it's not some big drawn-out thing that you know requires a lot of emotion or attention. You know, people die all the time very suddenly, and it just happens. Yeah, but this you is know, a there's book. not a lot. You, this is not so? real life. This is a novel. So we're if you're going to tell us about somebody's death, give us some kind of a dramatic thing. You know? No, not for me. I no. think in I don't think in this instance, I don't think it was necessary. Um, Sometimes you get that. You've gotten that with a bunch of different things. But I can tell you the deaths that have impacted me the most have been very 
they just happened. I mean, I know you haven't read it, but when Sirius Black dies, he just dies. You know, there's no long drawn out on anything. Bellatrix just says Avada Kedavra and boom, he's gone. And the, you're just in shock because it happens in like one sentence and you're just like, what? Which is the exact same thing that happens here. And it took me aback so much that I like just stopped reading and I was like, I got to process, processing, processing. But in she your example, died. in your example there, um, although it might have been a quick death, which I'm, I'm okay with a quick death. I'm not okay with an off-screen death for a major character. And you kind of explained what happened to Sirius Black, but he had a face-to-face confrontation with the, with the other character. Mm, no, no, he doesn't. No? She, so. No, she, he's not fighting um, Bellatrix when he's killed. He's actually fighting Lucius Malfoy. She comes up from behind and just says well. it. Okay, maybe not face-to-face, but he's part of the battle. He's there on screen. You could say, I know there's no screen involved when you're reading a book, but you get what I'm saying. He's involved in the action, and he's killed. Well, this and is, she, she's, she's involved in the action. She's being in a sniper role. She's running around sniping people. He makes a comment about you know the grenades being thrown, and could they be possibly too close to where she's at or whatever, and then you hear her scream, and then her light, or whatever goes out in the force. That's not off screen for me. That's in the middle of the heat of this battle. When I'm reading, everything gets drawn up around me. So I'm basically sitting in the scene. I'm sitting behind the trees and the rocks and stuff with them. Everything is around me. The bounty hunters are down there, the aqualish or whatever. I don't even know what that looks like. You know, it's down there. No, I'm sorry. I don't remember every single. Oh, that's what that is? Yeah. I don't. Why would I know that? Why would I know? Because you know everything about Star Wars, right? <laughs> no. So um, you, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I so mean, so like I was sitting, I was sitting there. He was down there. He's throwing the grenades up. They were going up the hill, and R2 and Nakari were kind of over there. And R, you know, R2's already smoking and stuff. She's not going to see the grenades coming because they had moved positions, you know. And he's just chunking grenades or whatever, and she's going to get completely off guard as she's trying to run away. Boom! Explodes. She dies. And I was like, dang. <laughs> like it was so, intense for me <laughs> okay i mean hey yeah i mean i'm glad that you liked it i i thought that her death was just a little sudden and it you know to me it did kind of happen off screen um and because i was kind of invested in that character i was disappointed that there wasn't a little bit more uh to it but you know i i, I do, don't like I do the see... kind of i don't like the kind of deaths where you know somebody gets shot and they go over and they lean over them and they're like you're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And then the person who's dying is, no, you just have to let me go. I love you. <laughs> Maybe not that drawn It'll out. It'll but... okay. Like, I just don't, you know, I, I don't dig it. I Yeah, I, I know what it. you're saying. And not every character can have that big, noble, dramatic death. But I think a character of, you know, that they had built up so much. I didn't want her to die at all. I wish they had let her live. Um but the fact that they did kill her, it's kind of like, well, if you're going to kill this character that you have made me like so much or that you've made me really get attached to, at least give her somewhat of a noble death um, and not just get killed by some random grenade that Luke couldn't catch in the Force. But this um, is, this is, one, he even if he could catch it in the Force, it's not like he could do anything. He, he could barely move a noodle. It. Yeah, I know, right? No, he couldn't. <laughs> he could, you're right. He you're couldn't right. redirect it anything. You're right. At this point, he, he couldn't, <laughs> but... You know, he could see it happening, but there wouldn't be anything he could do about it. But, I mean, this is war. 
You were in the middle hey, of the I get war. It. I get it. I get the reality of it. But I'm how just many, saying. How I, many generals in war get a noble death? But you keep comparing it a literature or like a book from a galaxy far far away to real world i don't need it to be like real world that's but what it i'm saying is. but it's i know not. i totally totally get it totally understand where you're coming from but it is like the real world i read these books to get out of the real world you should read harry potter <laughs> even though it's still very real world too <laughs> that's the thing i think we as much as i love living in a fantasy world you know and that's why i read a lot of the fantasy novels that i read it doesn't matter because everything that happens in those books are written by people that are actually in our own real world. So there's going to be elements that come into it. And sure. maybe the difference between you and me is that I have taught world history and U.S. history and I almost double majored in history. So for me, it's really cool to be able to draw those comparisons. So maybe that's... Well, I don't think you have to have double majored in anything to, to still enjoy the comparisons of real world and literature world. But... but you I'm just saying to... that it doesn't have to always completely parallel. So when I'm saying I want a noble death and you're saying, well, people die all the time that don't have noble deaths. I'm like, yeah, but they're not in the books I like to read. You know, that's that's the real world. Sure, people die all the time. But in the books, if you're going to give me a main character, you know, I kind of want that character to have somewhat of a meaningful death. That's just personal preference when I'm reading a book. Um, but I think for me it depends on the book. Yeah, it does, and it depends on the character. And if I hadn't liked her character, I wouldn't have cared at all. You know, well, whatever. She died, no big deal. But the fact that I was really rooting for, me, for her and hoping that she would kind of live in this universe for a little while, um, yeah, it was a little disappointing. Well, how about think about the fact that she, the way she feels about people in the Empire and Darth Vader, for instance, and she has no regard really for life and death of people. She's just willing to just take people out, which she does. You know, so she ends and, up getting taken out herself, right? So this kind of leads into the the conversation about Luke and his, you know, his brush with the dark side. I guess you could say because immediately after her death, um, they kind of describe. Um, actually, I'll just read it straight from the book here. They describe here. He says this is right after she died. It was a blow to the gut realizing what that sudden absence meant. I hadn't seen it happen in, with my eyes, but I had felt Nakari's life snuffed out through the force and into that void where she had shown anger rushed in or into the void where she had shown anger rushed in, anger and a cold sense of raw power and invincibility with clarity I had never felt before. I knew precisely where the Akalish had moved and the Transocean too, blah, blah, blah. So basically he's, you know, right after her death, he gets this kind of cold sense of like um, anger and raw power, invincibility, um, and clarity even in the Force that he hadn't had the ability to do before. So from your perspective, did you feel like that was kind of the dark side? Very much so. Taking power there for a bit? Very much. Yeah. I thought it was it was kind of cool. I like how they always how in this book they've described the dark side. When that happened, it's cold. But later on, when he kind of regains control of himself, and the 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 light side kind of rushes back in, it's a warmth that comes back. So, and it's kind of parallel, you know, to to kind of in the movies even where like Anakin's talking about, you know, being cold and and things like that. So, yeah, I really like that that part of the book. Well, because when Anakin was cold, it was because he was scared and 
afraid and same thing fear leads, um. <laughs> leads to that and leads to the dark side and all that yeah um yeah it was good but i do think that luke had that kind of moment right there where you know he really could have gone the wrong direction with things you know he just lost somebody he really cared about and if he wanted to he could have taken advantage of that new power that had just shown itself to him and really harnessed it for the wrong purposes mm-hmm. so anything else? so you had kind of talked about uh nakari like the the official image that was released of her and kind of helping you fill out the way that she looked yeah i um i viewed her as being you know maybe hispanic in the shade of her skin sort of like a darker brown um i didn't view her as being a black character which i think maybe she was supposed to be and um, i read that in some reviews but i viewed her as being more of a hispanic for a good while there i didn't have a clear image of her face and what her eyes looked like but i even though they said her hair was curly and like around her face and stuff it was in like a sporty punk rock kind of ponytail and she was all like you know just sort of ba um <laughs> but that kind of changed over the course of the movie or movie the book kind of plays like a movie in my head um and she takes her hair down and so you know it's kind of curly and wavy and but this image actually helped me a lot to just fill in her face um the look that we have in her eyes and kind of the clarity of her eyes sort of I was like okay there it is that's what I was missing I had the skin tone you know and the pretty strong maybe you know very toned muscular structure of her arms and her body and stuff but and I had her hair in different ways over the course of the book but I was missing her eyes and this really helps fill that in for me so if one of the only critiques I have is that Nakari wasn't built up enough as far as maybe description goes for me to have a good solid image of her while I was reading yeah I think it's very interesting the way a lot of different people perceive this character. Um, I know you had said you kind of imagined her as maybe Hispanic. Um, I found her very clearly as more of a darker skin character. Um, but I had talked to other people who didn't pick up on that. Um, I've read some reviews where they just pretty much said, oh, it was a black character. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of all over the place. And then when, this is the first time I've seen that an image of her. Actually, today was the first time I came across this official image. And to me, this character doesn't look at all how I thought she was going to look uh, based on the description in the novel. Um, much more, um, I can definitely see Hispanic, but I definitely don't see her as being a, you know, an African-American looking character. Um, and I mean, depending on, like, if you're just looking at the lighting and her eye colors, you could almost look at this character as a white character. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting how it's kind of all over the place. Or in a galaxy far, far away, anybody can have any eye color. That's Because it's not real world. Oh, I totally get that. Um, <laughs> but I'm just saying, from from what I have to kind of compare it to, it does the character does look more Caucasian to me, which it wasn't what I thought at all based on the description in the book. Are you um, kidding? She looks like me. <laughs> kind of. Maybe a little bit different of nose, eyes are I'm different. I'm kidding. <laughs> They based uh, this image on Teresa Delgado. Yeah, they did. They did. <laughs> I want lightning behind my head. That'll like be that. the day, right? Yeah, right. No, I think she looks. She looks good. You she know, looks good, though. It's a. It's a really good looking character for sure. Just different than what I imagined. 
I would cosplay that. Give me an outfit. Yeah, get that gun. I mean, you can't really see what kind of clothes she's wearing here, but um, I'm sure you could come up with something. <laughs> um, Make it up. Yeah, so we didn't really touch on um, some of the other characters that came up in the novel. Um, the the given character. Yeah, I don't know what a given looks like. Um, basically like a scary skull-looking face. Um, kind of what I pictured. Yeah, um, interesting alien. I, I, they've used these the Givens in other Star Wars novels, and I've always had a hard time kind of imagining them because when they talk, like you see them, um, even in the original trilogy, I think in the cantina there's, there's a Given, and I think that's kind of where the species came from, but their faces look very just static, like the it's hard for me to imagine them as a speaking character and not having a completely odd sounding voice. Um, so when I'm trying to, I like the image I had in my head better. Okay. But, um, <laughs> there's actually an official image of this character as well on, uh, that, that came from star Wars insider. Oh. Uh, if you want to look that up, but I, I do, but yeah, I, I don't know. That was an interesting uh, species for them to choose to kind of use for that, that part. Um, well, in talking in math, I was like, "Oh, jeez." Yeah, that, I hate math. Thing. I hate math. <laughs> but I think that's kind of a something that's already had been established that those those characters kind of speak in that that type of thing, and they they, they use math. Um, I don't think that's original to this novel. I think that had kind of already been established. Um, but yeah, but keep in mind, there's a lot of people out there like me that have not read all of the other oh, stuff. I know. I get it. Yeah, I know that. And, uh, but I think that, you know, for a new reader, they're thinking, oh, yeah, that's that's kind of an interesting thing. But for people that are have been reading some of the older stuff or, you know, kind of kept up with some of these character or species descriptions in the past, it's kind of nice to see that they're not completely changing a species like they could have done um, mm. and keeping okay, some of those details. Okay, I see details. where you're going with that. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. That character was kind of boring to me. Not really that Oh, I liked her. I thought she was funny in all of her interactions with Luke because she just kept putting him in his place. And I was like, come on, Luke. But then I have to remember, how old is Luke in A New Hope? I think he's supposed to be like 19. Okay, so then it makes 19, sense. 20. You know, he's kind of just early 20s, he's sort young. of squirrely. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, the more I've thought about it, um, I didn't think the characterization of Luke was off. Um, it was just different than what I'm used to, but I'm used to an older version of Luke. But if you're talking about, you know, just after A New Hope, um, it does kind of fit with with his immaturity and kind of his almost nerdiness. You know, kind of awkward. Um, he didn't get cool until Return of the Jedi, so yeah. So he's still in that kind of growing phase, which which I think this book actually reflected pretty well. Well, and to me, he's not some big giant hero. I mean, Luke is not one of my favorite characters from Star Wars. Like, I get that it's supposed to be his story and everything for the original trilogy, and I get it and respect it, but I don't watch Star Wars for Luke Skywalker. Well, because you like bad guys, and he's like the ultimate good guy. No, and the thing is, is that everybody, this lately, over the past, like, maybe six or seven months, everybody's, like, talking about how much I love bad guys and, like, that's all I like, which is not true well, at all. Well, there's a reason why just, people say that. Because that's I play how... it up. I play it up because I think it's funny. Um, uh, okay. I don't, I don't love Luke. I, I like him. I think he's a great character, and I think he's awesome in Return of the Jedi, and he's probably one of my favorite parts of Return of the Jedi. 
But I don't watch Star Wars for Luke Skywalker. I also don't watch Star Wars for Anakin Skywalker either. I watch it for everything that's going on in the galaxy and the politics that are happening and the, you know, the way that the galaxy is changing and all of the elements that are going on in it and everybody that's involved in the world. So it's not, for me, it's not about the journey of one particular character. Never has been. Right. But it has nothing to do with to do with the fact that I love dark characters and to be honest I'm not sure I'm gonna love Kylo Ren you know I I don't really love the way Adam Driver looks and I don't I don't really love the way that he moves so I'm not sure I'm really gonna love Kylo Ren at this point which makes me super sad (laughs) um but I actually think that I'm gonna be a big Poe Dameron fan as opposed to Kylo Ren so no, I don't just love dark side characters. That's not it. So it's more about good-looking characters. No, it's more about <laughs> it's more about the story. Over Kylo Ren. Um, yeah, I get that. I've always been a fan of Luke, but mostly because of his portrayal in both Return of the Jedi and the novels, and not necessarily his portrayal in either A New Hope or Empire Strikes Back. Um, so this version of Luke is very much a New Hope Luke, and that's not the Luke that I really like that much. So even though this was a Luke Skywalker novel, and he's one of my favorite characters, this wasn't the type of Luke Skywalker novel that I would want to typically read. I'm more interested Makes in kind sense. of where he went after the movies and not necessarily where he was going between the movies. Um, um, I'm interested in where he was going in between, but I almost wish that this Luke that was in Air of the that I was the Luke that was on screen because I could get behind that one. Hmm. More realistic to me. Kind of like I wish that the uh, Anakin Skywalker that was in the movies was the same Anakin Skywalker that's from the Clone Wars. Well, completely different characters. Everybody would agree with you about that. I yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, there's some, there's some people out there that would defend Hayden Christensen to the end. So, well, and I will. I'll defend him. I'll defend him in the movies, and I think he did a stellar job for what he was given and the role he was supposed to play. But I love the Anakin and the Clone Wars. Yeah. Well, I think we have we've given this book a lot of time, more than we typically give. I think some of these novels, but I think it's good though. I like the fact that you really liked it. And I didn't necessarily like it, so it's kind of good to have that back and forth. It was, I think it made it a little bit more fun to talk about. Um, but do you have some, maybe some final thoughts uh, before we kind of wrap this up? Mm, not really. Or did you kind of get it all out to. there? I think I got it all out. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I will say this. I like the end where he's reflecting on things and he moves an entire fork up and feeds himself with the force and then says that Nakari would have thought that was funny to R2 Um, because she would have she would have thought it was funny and made some kind of joke yeah so noodle scooter jeez (laughs) toodle fruits noodle scooters jeez okay so my final thoughts on this book Um, overall I did not like the book I thought it was kind of a waste of a story I could have taken this maybe in like a comic form if maybe this was like a four issue comic Uh, tell me about this little adventure Luke went on with this girl that ended up dying Um, but a full novel not what I was hoping to see from a Luke Skywalker story Um, I did like some of the conversations they had some of the insights into you know Luke's you know view of Darth Vader and his brush with the dark side was interesting 
Um, Nakari's dad was funny. I, th- I liked that character. Um, I think his name was Fayette Kellen. Um, but you know, he was he was pretty humorous. Um, but he overall, reminded me of a character from Friends. Oh, did he? Yeah. But, Bri- uh, um, Bruce Willis's character actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I liked the part where Luke found the the lightsaber. That was kind of cool. Yeah, that was neat. Ah, that was so such a good scene when he almost moved something and then somebody br- like busted in on him and messed him all up. Yeah. Um, so there was elements that I really did enjoy, but overall, not a big fan of this novel. Some of the silly stuff just really didn't like at all. I know me and you totally disagree on that stuff, but just didn't like it. Um, but yeah, not a not a fan. But I'm glad you liked it. I did. Yeah, I really did. I thought good. it was a really good book. And that's kind of the beauty of of all these books, you know, and comics and all this stuff that's coming out. You know, some stuff, you know, I'm gonna really like, and some stuff I'm not. And but it's not all written for me. So um, I'm gonna read them all. I'm not gonna necessarily like them all. But I think you know, Dark Disciple, Lords of the Sith, that kind of stuff might be a little bit more up my alley. Well, I'm excited to read Lords of the Sith. Well, that's what we'll I be. might start it right now. Right now, tonight. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna. My plan is finish up Dark Disciple within the next couple of days, and then just dive straight into Lords of the Sith and try to knock that out within the next week. So, which we're gonna. Well, have it does to. take you forever to read. I am, <laughs> I am not a fast reader. This is true. Um, well, but, yeah, on our next episode. We are going to be reviewing Lords of the Sith. Um, so we're going to get ourselves caught up next month, uh, the month of August. You are going to get two shows. Ta-da! Um, Lords of the Sith and Dark Disciple will both be reviewed next month in August. Yes. And I'm saying it on the show like that because it will happen. So we have to do it. Um, yeah, our plan is high water. <laughs> in order to catch up and in order to keep up with the Journey to the Force Awakens, we will need to start doing more frequent episodes. So You may get two shows a month, so. maybe three. We're not <laughs> sure. It also depends on how fast we can read, but it's looking like two shows a month for a good while. Yes. More bookworms. But if you want to get in touch with us in between shows so that we can do a feedback segment, send us something on Twitter at SWBookworms, or you can email us, StarWarsBookworms at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook, and over there, Aaron is usually pretty good about posting all of the latest news and updates on comic book covers and book covers and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's Facebook.com slash StarWarsBookworms. And you can leave us a review on iTunes if you enjoy the show. We'd love for you to head over there and leave us a nice five-star review so other people can find us. Uh, Teresa's on Instagram and Twitter, at IceColdPenguin. And I am on there as well, at AVGoins. And as always, if you are not following the Star Wars Report on social media, make sure you are following at the Star Wars is the Star Wars Report at Star Wars Report on <laughs> Twitter um, to get all of the stuff that is going on in the Star Wars Report podcasting universe with other great shows like Behind the Films and the Star Wars Report, The Wampa's Lair, and other really cool things. So make sure you are following them. We are proud to be a part of the Star Wars Report podcasting network. Did so Riley until- tell you we had to say that? No, I just threw it in there. <laughs> I mean, I've been hosting the Star Wars Report for a couple of weeks, so uh, okay. I have a little bit of a... I was like, we've never plugged them that hard at well, the end of the show before. <laughs> but we're going to, because right. we are a part of their podcasting network. And since I am now an official host of the Star Wars Report, at least uh, for okay. the last two weeks, 
head on over there. Actually, yeah, this is a good time to talk about that. Um, me and Steve Glasson, my co-host for Disney Vault Talk, actually took over the Star Wars report for the last two episodes, episodes 176 and 177. Um, and you can find out a lot of cool stuff on there. On 176, if you haven't heard it already, we get into the big Amy Schumer GQ kerfuffle um, that occurred and how I was involved in that. So that was a pretty fun episode. You also will get a history lesson on the beginning, or I guess I should say the origin story of Teresa and Steve. And then on episode 177, which just came out, I think it was yesterday or Monday. Not really sure. I don't remember. Um, we get into the world of Star Wars stuffed friends, as well as how Michael Jackson, NSYNC, and Jar Jar Binks all have something in common when it comes to Star Wars. So check those out over there on the Star Wars Report podcast feed. So and until, next, until time. next time, keep on reading and may the force oh, be with you. Oh, you took it from me. Well, you were doing all that plugging, so I figured I'd have to do something at the end. Oh, well. Go ahead. Take it. I already did. Okay. Bye. Yeah.